Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. In today's episode of Bristopia, Hopped Up Cinema returns to the city, poo-powered public transport, protests, how to date properly and efficiently if you are a resident of Bristol, and a documentary on the diminishing wages of the creative industry. So, well, I mean that last one's not as dry as it sounds. It's presented by an American. Hmm. Local interest. City living. Pressure points. Totter down. Welcome, join us here on this episode 3 of Bristopia. My name's Andy Price and I shall be your host. There's lots to get through in our programme today. Bristol's had a busy month as we head towards the spring and events are springing up all over the place. We have a special guest in the studio to talk about one of those and later our American intern exchange student Justin Crockler presents his very latest documentary about Bristol, which touches on a story we mentioned last episode. But before that, I just want to say thanks to everyone that's listened to the podcast so far. We've heard positive things said but if you want to get in touch directly, we legitimately have a social media presence now. Yep, search for Bristopia on Facebook and follow us on Twitter, forward slash Bristopia pod. So far, I've mostly posted photos of sassy looking animals, but I think there's something for everybody. Anyway, let's get started with this week's episode. First, here's a roundup of this past month's top stories. A bus powered by human poo is to start operating in the city. Its route will aptly be the number two. That's the council's joke, not ours. However, some are concerned about the bus coming through this part of town. For example, if the bus goes past Bristol City Stadium, then the shit could legitimately hit the fan. Stokescroft and Redland are both in the running to be named as the best urban areas to live in the southwest as part of a Sunday Times feature. Other areas in Bristol are bound to be upset at their exclusion, though residents in Clifton Village attempted to distance themselves from the prize by claiming to be a rural area. Yui has installed urinals that generate electricity from the Wii of students, though some are questioning whether they should be contributing to the university's electricity bill after tuition has risen so sharply. But then universities have always taken the piss with fees. The Found Footage Festival returns to Bristol once more. This year focuses on existential crises and how if they didn't keep losing the footage, there'd be no festival at all. Bristol is set to become the first city in the UK to have its own official fanfare. This caused a turf war amongst local media outlets that all wanted to be the first to use the headline, Bristol blows its own trumpet. Some 30k is up for grabs with the Playable City scheme, which has previously included a project called Hello Lamppost, which instructed people to interact with the urban environment. However, some were confused as to what was actually involved in the project when a Keep Off the Grass sign refused to talk back to them at all. And those are this month's top stories. Let's move on.
Last October, an indoor pop-up theatre arrived in Bristol for sell-out screenings of The Hangover, Ghostbusters, The Lion King and Grease. What made it so special? Cinema-goers could watch these movies from a hot tub. They could drink beer with friends, uh, maybe even champagne while watching the film. And it proved such a success, it's now returning for another run this spring. The night itself is already almost sold out, but I found out that organiser John Custard is already working on his next venture. Here to talk about it is John Custard. Hello, John. Hi, Andy. Pleasure to be here. So tell me about your new venture. Well, my whole ethos revolves around the concept of taking traditional entertainment and putting it in a non-traditional setting. Right, so obviously you've got the hot tub cinema. Correct, and it's pretty much organised itself. There's something about sitting around half naked with a group of strangers in tepid water getting drunk and watching films that really has made an impact. I don't understand it myself. Oh, so you don't actually partake yourself? Oh, God, no. All that alcohol... That would go right through you, right through you and into the hot tub. John, you're really not selling the night here. I don't have to. There's almost nothing I can do to ruin it. It really is a magical experience. Oh, how do you mean? Well, Hugo, our pool boy, he cleans out the tubs after each night. You should see what he finds. <laughs> like dirty speedos and stray hairs and stuff. No, like unicorn horns and fairy's wings. What? The last time he said he pulled one of the plugs out and it sucked him right through. Where'd he go? Bloody Narnia. Ridiculous. I did not realise you were being literal when you said magical. Uh, so how did he get back? He shot the lion in the face. And how did that pull him back through? Well, he'd ended up in Narnia in the 1940s, right. before the books had been written. Mm -hmm. So by shooting Aslan, he'd basically created a time loop that made the world collapse in on itself. He doesn't really know what happened after that. It just kind of spat him back out. He woke up face down in someone's flip-flop with a bottle of Carlsberg in his butt. Oh, Wow. Um, I kind of feel like I should have got Hugo in to talk about this whole thing instead. Am I supposed to be talking about my next venture? Oh yes, of course, of course. Uh, where are my questions? Ah, got them. Okay, uh, what is it? Steam Room Theatre. Steam Room Theatre? Right. I mean, it's no hot tub cinema, is it? Can't, can't you foresee any problems with this? Well, I suppose our Disney on Ice season will be a bit tricky. Yeah. It'll be fine, we'll just turn the steam off. But then it'll just be a small room. Speaking of which, you can only fit about eight people in a standard steam room, and that's without the actors. Actually, that is a problem we've been trying to tackle during our trial nights. We obviously want to make it like any other theatre, so we've installed a bar and everything. Oh really? You managed to fit one in? Yeah, I mean, it was a bit cramped. We've been struggling to get our health and safety licence, actually. Why? Because someone's leg was sticking out, but you couldn't see it because of all the steam and Hamlet tripped over and landed on a plate of drinks. <laughs> Oof. And then he had to go to hospital because he got a bottle of Carlsberg stuck in his butt. Oh man, people have got to stop leaving bottles of Carlsberg lying around. Uh, I mean, space obviously isn't the only issue though. Doesn't the steam ruin the experience as well? I mean, kind of, but the problems are less about the theatre itself. How do you mean? Well, we found that the impassioned performances and sheer joy people experience from live performance, coupled with being in a hot and sweaty confined space while wearing few clothes, make people a little too amorous. Oh, really? There was this couple there, husband and wife, that really went for it. Oh god, what happened? She tried to put a bottle of Carlsberg in his butt. <laughs> tried? Yeah, he also had to go to hospital. We hadn't even reached the second act yet. Oh man, I guess it's not looking good for Steam Room Theatre. What are you going to do? Well, there's one last thing we haven't tried. I think if it works, then it's going to be a hugely successful venture. What is it? We're going to swap the Carlsberg for Red Stripe. John Custard, everybody. Good luck, John. Uh, maybe try getting some plastic glasses in too. Uh, they're easier on the butt.
We've got something new for you this week. We have a brand new segment where we talk to a dating expert who's going to offer me some ironclad advice on how to find and ensnare the one, Bristol style. Betty Lovehorn has been working on her approach and is here to talk about it exclusively to Bristopia. Or should I say Heartopia? Oh, I like what you did there. Thanks. So tell me, what's your pitch? Okay, so are you tired of Tinder? Sure. Is Grinder really grinding your gears? Well, sure. Firstly, I'm not here to make you feel like a loser or judge you because you're all alone in the world. I was once single too, before I met my husband, Alfonso. He sounds nice. He's a hedge fund manager, former judo champion and poet laureate of the West Country. Oh, and he's big. So big, in fact, that he's often mistaken for a tall Warwick Davies. Right, so what was the problem before? Well, I was alone for so long, Andy. My friends were having couples nights and couples drinks and couples walks and couples sex parties. And I was telling myself it wasn't my fault. Well, I'm sure it wasn't. Wrong! It was my fault. And it's yours too. Bristol is full of sexy single graphic designers, improv teachers web developers, mixologists and BBC runners. And somehow I was turning them all off. And so are you, with your face. It's okay, don't cry. The first step of finding love is admitting that your singleness is your own fault. So what's the secret? You have to lie. You have to lie a lot, but like in a very specific way. Which is? Okay, so picture the scene. It's Friday and you're at a craft beer bar on King Street after a hard day finding keywords on WordPress. And it's the usual sort of scene. Everyone is eating pulled pork from mugs, drinking slightly less than a pint and swaying ironically to Krista Berg. When suddenly, out of nowhere, you spy a sexy stranger with a butt that just won't retire. So what do you do, Andy? I don't know, I guess be myself. Wrong! You can't impress sexy people that way unless you happen to be a super interesting person like Forrest Whitaker. Oh, right. Andy, we're picturing the scene here. Oh, right. Yes, yes. I see him. He organises raves for Crack magazine. Oh, wow. So what do I do? You have to offer up information that is impressive, yet unquestionable. Like, so ridiculous, who would lie about it? Like what? Okay, check this out. Hey. Hey. Do you know that playground game, What's the Time, Mr. Wolf? Yeah. My grandfather invented that. I'm a millionaire. No way. Also, my dad was the one who advised Toys R Us to turn around the R. I am rich. Oh, really? No, that was a lie, Andy. That's what we're doing here. Oh, yeah, of course. And when I was 11, I started videotaping my nine-year-old brother for two weeks for every year of his life. One day, Richard Linklater walked past, like like he does, and asked me what I was doing. I said, filming his boyhood. And he said, boyhood, eh? And the rest is history. Then when I was 14, I met R.L. Stein at a party and told him I was cold and I had goosebumps. And he said, Goosebumps, eh? And he lent me a jumper. The rest is his story. Any more? I once sat next to Daniel Radcliffe on a plane and he told me I was funny. We shared a pudding. That's a good one. Okay, I get the idea, but then what? Let's talk about your body language. Are you sat there with your arms or legs folded or are you making eye contact and smiling reassuringly? Uh, the second one? Wrong! The first one? Wrong, wrong, wrong. What the hell is wrong with you? The former shows nerves, and the latter makes you look like some kind of deranged slut. Instead, ask them about their last 
holiday. Holiday. Right, yeah, the memories will bring positive reinforcements to them. Just make sure you gradually lean in closer, drop in the occasional whoa, and when your face is the closest it can be, throw their spicy wings aside on the floor and scream, bored now, and walk out the door. They will follow you. Is this really going to be the start of a beautiful relationship, though? That's the final step. Okay, so how do you ensure it's not just a one-night stand? Easy. You never leave their side. That's the easy part, and it worked so well when I did it on Alfonso. I got out some crazy glue, whipped down his pants, and smeared it across his lower waist. His lower waist? This is a family-friendly program, is it not? Not really. Okay, fine. Well, what I actually did was smear it all over his crotch and then launch myself at him. We were connected at the pubes for three weeks before it wore off, and that was more than enough time to wear him down. Uh, well, I'm not sure I, if I could quite get away with that. Oh, I'm sure you could. You're very handsome. Yes. Very handsome. Okay, I think that's all we've got time for uh, this time, but thanks for coming. Anything else you want to leave with? Oh yeah, did you know that when I was 18 I got stuck down a mineshaft with Vince Gilligan? The only things I had on me was a bag of meth, a copy of Michael Jackson's Bad on vinyl, and a Walt Whitman book of poems. Whilst high on meth and reading Walt Whitman to Vince to calm his nerves, I accidentally trod on the vinyl. I cried, Oh no, I broke bad! And he replied, You broke bad, eh? And the rest is history. Betty Lovehorn, everybody! Well, we've made it to our last segment. Thanks for listening again this week. I'm going to hand you over to our American intern exchange student, Justin Crockler now, who's got a seriously in-depth documentary about the modern mass media and how one business in particular has arrived in Bristol and is taking serious advantage of our local blogging population. This is the Giggle Pig Conspiracy. This week, I received an email. It was from a guy called Stanley Chase, a senior editor at Gigglepig Media, a culture and entertainment group that were moving to Bristol. Stanley wanted me to make documentaries for their site. It's not like I couldn't use the work, especially after my last trip to the zoo when they tricked me into sponsoring each individual insect in their ant farm. So I said yes. But then Stanley sent me up a follow-up email. While at this stage, we can't offer payment in the form of monetary remuneration, the exposure you'll receive from your submissions will be invaluable. Gigglepig wants people to work for free. Now, I'm a professional journalist, damn it. I should be paid for my work. But hey, man, I'm a professional journalist, and there's a story here. So I agreed. I asked him if we could meet to talk further. He wrote back. I'm currently out of the office at the moment, but I'll be back on Thursday morning. As per my invitation, I arrived at the Gigglepig offices that Thursday at 7 a.m., Oh, wait, there he is. Stanley! Stanley! Sir, hold that elevator! Stanley, I'm here to talk to you about your blogging program. Uh, Justin, right. Yes, sir. Follow me, I suppose. Our freelance program is super exciting. This is how it works. We've worked hard to create a framework for budding creatives. 
so they can develop their skills in a fun and awesome way. We do this by inducting content creators into our local blogging network. You'll join a pool of other enthusiastic and talented content ninjas. I've always wanted to commit espionage. And kill people. Yeah, uh, but less killing, more you're killing me with these hilarious cat pictures. Oh. Our blogging program is super fun. The more you post, the more you progress. For each writing level you surpass, we give you a brand new title for you to put on your CV. At level 1, our writers are known as Baby Bloggers, or Me Baba Blogger, in your native Bristolian dialect. You then progress to Fledgling Writer at level 4, and by the time you get to level 8, you're ready to be a potential content executive. Uh, potential? Yes. Now, I note some cynicism, but this kind of exposure is invaluable, Justin. By which I mean, we literally don't put a value on it. But, once you've hit 400 submissions, you'll be given the title of Shaolin Writing Warrior. Imagine putting that on your CV. That's huge. If you go to the BBC Entertainment team with that, they'll... Straight up laugh at me? Right. They'll laugh at you, and then they'll point you straight in the direction of the politics team, my friend. This is the job market for young people in the creative industries. Mass media corporations employing gamification to hide their real mission. To gain free content. So why is this profitable company not giving any money back to the content creator? This is what I want to find out. Can one survive on martial art writing puns alone? Stay with us. As a creative city, Bristol has a vast blogging network. They write blogs about local events and restaurant openings. They trade hits for ham, web traffic for terrines, and follows for falafel. But now Gigglepig is muscling in on this relationship. And these writers are seeing their audiences fall, while simultaneously being asked by Gigglepig to contribute to its site for free. Stanley believes that giving these individuals a platform like theirs is payment enough. It's like at the end of a hardworking week having your boss tell you he won't pay your salary, but is happy to retweet that Vine video of your cat being a dick. So the key component of this site is articles written by people, but you don't have a budget for people to write articles. Is that correct? If we paid all of our writers, tough financial decisions would have to be made. I'd have to give up my private office. And where would I hang my signed headshot of Christopher Walken? So you're saying the real reason you don't pay your writers is because your business model isn't viable enough? No, not at all. What I'm saying is that not paying is our business model, and it's working really well. Well, damn. The point is, we're providing a platform, and some of our writers have moved on to bigger things. Like the Huffington Post, run by multi-millionaire Adriana Huffington and that guy that launched BuzzFeed. I emailed them, and while the BuzzFeed guy just sent me back 14 gifts of Kanye West's cat dancing to a video of a goat ice skating to Taylor Swift's 2013 Grammys performance, one of their editors did respond. He told me he'd happily offer me three links back to my website in exchange for a 10-part documentary on the Ebola crisis in Africa. He said the SEO value of those links could be worth millions. Let me tell you about Lance McAllister. Stanley wanted me to see that there were people out there that the Giggle Pig setup had worked for. His breakup piece was, is your lunchtime sandwich manly enough? Though he mostly just wrote, it's all about the ratio of meat to bread a bunch of times. And, but he helps a lot of people. How so? Okay, so one day I had a roast beef and dill pickle. And he said, dude, that's less than 80% meat. Your girlfriend's totally cheating on you. Probably with me. And you know what? He was right. 
Then he wrote a piece of evergreen content about courgettes that looked like Hugh Grant. How'd he do that? He'd read Bridget Jones' diary to the plants every night. And that worked? Well, the Mickey Blue Eyes script didn't. Then what? He sold them at the local market. So he has a fruit and veg stall? No, he's a writer that lives off the land and barters for money using vegetables that he's grown to look like celebrities. Right. Trust me, Justin, this setup does eventually bear fruit. But what if that fruit looks like Gary Lineker's butt? The question is, is Lance's sustenance a direct result of Gigglepig's help, or does he just have a regular job? I haven't told you about Gail yet. Gail Cluckington is the only Gigglepig blogger that has ever submitted 400 articles. In other words, she's the only Shaolin warrior in the entire world. You know that big yellow mansion on the top of the hill in Stoke Park? That's her house. Really? She's got more money than Nando's has hot sauce. Whoa. When she reached her 400th article, we gave her a pair of samurai swords. What would you want? Monetary appreciation of your hard work? Or fucking samurai swords? That's a good point. So she came to herself to finishing her law degree. So she started blogging for us. And then an old school friend who was a regular reader saw her article. Her friend gave her a job. As a writer? No, a lawyer. She made partner. And that was all thanks to Gigglepig. What? Ah, I mean... Did she not just give up and change her career because you weren't paying her? But if she hadn't written those articles in the first place, she wouldn't have got the exposure that got her the job. Where are all the people making a living off their creative work? All these people I see with writer or filmmaker in their Twitter bios, are they just lying? That night, I went to bed, disillusioned. Austin. Austin! Wait! Wake up, you pilchin! What? What? Who, who's there? It's me. Rupert. The bear? No, you prick. Rupert Murdoch! Rupert Murdoch! Isn't it fucking obvious? The mass meteor mogul? That's right, boy. But I'm here to tell you, I stumbled onto something. What? I stumbled over that fucking... Footstool getting into your room. What did I stumble on? The mass media conspiracy. What do you mean? All a bloody cover-up, isn't it? Those bastards are lying to you. Giggle pig. Buzzfeed. The Huffington Post. They're all part of a global new world order. They maintain they can't pay their writers, but they make loads of money. But wait, aren't you one of them? Nah, mate. When I first started on newspapers in Australia, I tried to assemble a team of highly paid journalists to uncover all the world's ills. I was going to be a bloody superhero. Like Super Bloke. Or Bet Bloke. Spider Sheila. So what happened? They found out, didn't they? They were like, We don't want anyone to know we can afford to pay that much money. And when I insisted, they bloody killed me. They had me knocked off. Dealt with murder. No way, they can't do that. That's what makes it a conspiracy, you bloody imbecile. So what did they do? Covered it up. Like a teenager covers up their pornography in an atlas or... Or a vegetarian cookery book. Mum never used that. Come to think of it, it's still in there. Vintage stuff could be worth some money. What then? Set up a robotic figurehead in my image. That old bastard they got there isn't even Australian. Made in... Singapore. His accent's fucking awful. Not like mine. Or mine. Anyway, 
so they fill their staff with impressionable young media creatives who are forced to write bloody listicles about shit like spider bloke about, or pop-up cafes staffed exclusively by those neon-haired troll figurines. And all the evils in the world go unreported. But what can I do? These media companies hold all the power, all the exposure. You need to take it back, son. What's the bloody internet for? Aside from the obvious. <laughs> yeah. I suppose so. If the internet was around or I was alive, maybe I wouldn't be so bloody deep. So what should I do? And stop relying on the hope that someday someone will ask you to write a blog about your views on Katie Hopkins' views about some bloody nonsense in return for an actual fiver. It ain't gonna happen. Did anybody ask Mark Zuckerberg to create Facebook? Go out there and make something awesome yourself. You might just find people relate. That morning, I started to piece together what Ghost Murdoch had said, and I think I figured it out. If I was to work for free, I should do it for myself. What's there to lose? So I sent an email to Stanley, saying I was out. I was done with GigglePig. That night, I started working on my documentary, this one you're listening to right now. I spent all week working hard, And eventually, I finished it. And since then, I've produced many more. And I posted them to my own website. I then tweeted it to my 17 followers. It may not have the 230 million billion trillion followers that GigglePig has, but it resonated with one of my followers. And they retweeted it. Then one of their friends retweeted it again. It turned out that what people really wanted was a personal story, not a blog buried under the rules of the faceless, personality-lacking headers of the mass media. Then later that week, I received another email from the New York Times. They wanted me to make documentaries for them too, but this time on staff, for actual money in New York. They were looking for a character to stand out from the crowd, baby bloggers, and fledgling Daniel Rousseau's. So, well, this is it, guys. I'm going home. Wait, what? Oh, man. What are we going to do next month? Well, I guess we could just put out a 10-minute episode. Probably be better. Seriously, Justin, some notice would have been nice. No. No, good for you. For taking on the man and winning. So thanks for listening, guys. This is Bristopia. We're done for episode three. My name's Andy Price, and this show was written by myself, Ellen Waddell, Dan Izzard, and featured the writers alongside Tom Johans Price, and it also featured Owen Pachusco as Ghost Rupert Murdoch. Wardrobe was put together by Carrie Bradshaw, while social media was handled by a horde of rabid dogs. Gaffer was Samuel Beckett, best boy was the little alien from the Flight of the Navigator movie, while catering was provided by the last king of Scotland. If you'd like to take part in Bristopia, tell us what your favourite fruit is, alongside a 500-word essay on how you'd use it to fight gender inequality, and send it to our Twitter page, forward slash Bristopiapod. For more information, go to chaplinmustachecomedy.co.uk forward slash Bristopia, and until next time, cheers!
Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.